As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Hockey Show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition. I am Rob Peasel from CBC Sports, joined by Jesse Granger in Vegas. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Just me and you today. Yeah. Russo's just so lazy. Just, you know, taking days off, covering GM meetings in Florida. <laughs> he's, he's the least lazy guy I know. Uh, yeah, he is covering those GM meetings, but it doesn't mean you're not going to hear from Mike Russo today. Uh, he's been running around with a tape recorder. Uh, he got an interview with the new interim GM of the Philadelphia Flyers, Danny Briere. Uh, also, we're going to hear from uh, Sean Gentile as they kind of sat down to talk a lot about the the topics from the GM meetings, which always seem to be the, the biggest quote-unquote talkers because everything that they discuss, I feel like if you grabbed 100 hockey fans, 50% will say one side, 50% will say the other side, which is great for people like me and you, Jesse, because that's what we do for a living. So we're going to talk about the GM meetings. We're going to talk about the Boston Bruins just continue being ridiculous. Talk about the Flyers making changes to their front office. And just because it's me and you, Jesse, we'll talk about goalies at some point uh, as well, because I loved your piece about knocking nets off the moorings uh, uh, that you and Russo worked on. But we'll get to that later, because we have to start with the GM meetings. Um, Day one saw the 32 GMs break into four groups. First off, before we even get to the rules, how much would you love to be a fly on the wall in some of those groups with GMs, you know, hashing out possible rule changes? I would love make an HBO 24-7 on the GM meetings. Yes. Yeah. I've been watching the the like 
I love the uh, Drive to Survive documentary, the Formula One on Netflix, and now they've got a golf one. Let's get an NHL one, but just the GMs. Just them, just, you know, you could tell they're probably pushing a little bit of their own agendas and everything else. But Right, exactly, yeah. They're, they're definitely, if a, if a rule affects, at, could help their team in the next five years, yeah, that, that rule suits my style of team. We absolutely need this rule. I just, I like hearing about, GMs who are kind of forward thinkers and not necessarily tink guys who like to tinker with rules for the sake of tinkering. But there are times where either a rule change didn't necessarily go for what it was intended. Let's say I always bring up the offside, you know, review on an offside. I think that was put in there to try to get rid of the egregious offsides. And now it got to a point where we're going frame by frame to see if someone's skate is, you know, on the blue line. I don't mind tinkering with rules if it's going, if it's done to better the game. What about you? Are you a traditionalist? Are you a, like those baseball fans that say, oh, leave the game the way it is. It's been good for a hundred years. Or do you like, do you like these, these kind of rule changes? No, I like the rule changes. I think hockey has gotten a lot better lately because of them. Um, like yeah. you think back to like the biggest, at least in our lifetime, I think the biggest rule changes really came like out of that lockout when they, yeah. they got rid of the two line pass and they extended, they, they moved the blue lines in and to give them more space in the offensive zone. And like you look at the numbers, there's no doubt. Now, I think it's partially just where the game has gone. The players are more skilled, but I think a big part of that is the rule changes allowed more offense. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm for, I'm for rule changes in all sports. I think the sports that like you look at the NFL, um, here in America, by far the most popular sport, and they change their rules. Every, like They're just like, we'll yeah. change whatever rules we need to make sure the quarterbacks aren't allowed to get touched, and they they score all the points, and it's great. Um, I don't know if the hockey should quite go that far, but I do, <laughs> I do like rule changes to make the game more entertaining. We're all here to be entertained. That's the whole reason we watch this. So let's go through some of the things that were discussed. Uh, it seemed as though day one, a lot of time was dedicated uh, to possible expansion of coaches challenge. I still know a lot of people who are just anti challenge altogether. I'm not one of them, but the two areas that they were talking about, number one was on penalties, specifically high sticking penalties where a player maybe gets clipped in the face by his own teammate. It's we've seen it happen before where he throws his head back, you know, gets a stick in the face. And meanwhile, we watch the replay and it's, you know, someone on his team who actually did it. And meanwhile, they get themselves a power play. And the other one was perhaps putting it in there for a puck over the glass, which I've always hated that rule, but to make sure that, hey, if it was tipped on its way out, there's not a penalty. Your thoughts on expanding coaches' challenge to penalties now? I know we've had the, you know, reducing a major to a minor, but this is now saying, hey, Jesse Granger got high sticked, but who did the high stick? Yeah, I mean, I'm to be honest, I'm kind of torn um, because part of me is very much the like, let's get it right thing. If this guy got hit and like yeah. a lot of times it's not even his teammate's stick, it's his own stick. A lot of times the guy yeah. will get his own stick lifted into his own face like it happens regularly. Um, and part of me is saying, yeah, I mean, if that happens and it's obvious and the coach wants to use his challenge on it, then they should. But I also can kind of look into the future. I can see into the crystal ball and I see us all sitting around saying, holy crap, there's so many challenges. This is taking forever. Um, so I don't know. I'm kind of torn. Like, what do you think? I, I'm not a fan of it either, but I will say this. The one thing that intrigues me is, you know, right now, let's say your team uh, uh, gets scored on and your coach challenges it 
and he's wrong. Well, he gets a delay game penalty and it's a power play, which is already something that's, you know, that that's quite the punishment. Imagine you challenge a penalty saying it shouldn't be a penalty. You're wrong. So you get the penalty and you get the delay game penalty. So you're suddenly in a, in a five on three situation for two I minutes. Think that's I didn't even where, think about for that. two minutes. That's where, and, and that's just, you know, that's a death sentence, but that's where I think coaches are, are, are going to have to make some much tougher decisions as opposed to like, Hey, even at times, I think they're, you see them look at the monitor on the bench and they're thinking, ah, oh, this is, this could go either way, but it's worth it for us. Cause this goal is putting us down three, one late in the third. But if you're suddenly going to be on a two-minute five-on-three disadvantage, you might not make that challenge. It's going to have to be obvious. And you know what? Now that you say that point, I'm kind of talking to myself into it. Because if all right to avoid the five-on-three, it's got to be obvious. Like It's got to be, well, that clearly wasn't his stick. And to me, that says the replays probably aren't going to take that long, right? The review, they're going to go over. They're going to say, oh, that wasn't his stick. Okay, it takes 20 seconds. Let's go back, take the penalty off the board. So like my only hesitation on this is how long it all takes. Um, as long as yeah. it's quick, I don't mind. Like review everything. Have some Wizard of Oz guy behind a curtain in the back reviewing everything and changing it just to get everything right. As long as we don't slow the games down, because I think part of what makes hockey such good product on television is the lack of downtime. Like there's lots. It's not quite soccer where it's always going, but it's like, to me, the closest big sport to that, where like you just, there's not a lot of downtime and I don't want to create more downtime, but you're, you're talking me into it with this, uh, the fact, <laughs> the fact that they're not going to challenge it unless it's blatantly obvious kind of takes away from the, the, the potential of slowing games down. The only thing that makes me hesitant is, is it a slippery slope of, well, then if you're going to challenge a high stick, are you going to challenge a trip? Oh, he just fell on his own. He just, you know, he, he caught a, a rut in the ice. Um, you know, is it a really a hook or was the guy act? I mean, it's, there's a point I've always been in favor of, is that a goal? Did the, did the puck cross the line? If we have the technology to do it, let's do it. I just think it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one that, GMs said after, you know, day one, they're going to wait to see if they can gather more information before making any challenge, any changes to the rules. But it's a slippery. What's next? Next year, are you and I doing this show talking about tripping and hooking and everything else? Yeah. Do we want I mean, that? The, the subjective ones are tough. I don't think you can review subjective ones. Like high stick is black and white. Did that stick touch his face? Yeah. You can review it and say definitively this happened or it didn't. Whereas hooking is like. The stick touched the I guy know. clearly, but was it enough for hooking? I yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think we should go into the any anything subjective where the where where it happens throughout the game, but the ref has to decide if that was bad enough to call it. I don't like those kind of penalties being reviewed. Something else that was discussed at the GM meetings, uh, which apparently GMs are really concerned about, which is fights that take place after a clean hit. I've always been very against it. I've always thought if, if a player hits another player cleanly. Why should that player have to fight? However, I think this is another kind of slippery slope because one, you already have the instigator rule in there. And two, it almost feels as if you're saying in a sport where fighting technically shouldn't happen and has been reduced by, you know, leaps and bounds. Well, you can fight for this, but you can't fight for that. So if you hit someone from behind, then, oh, absolutely, kick the shit out of them. But if it's a clean hit, no, you can't. I, I just, 
I'm starting to think like, okay, either you're going to make the steps to ban fighting, like you and I talked about last week with the QMJHL, or you're not. Now we're kind of going back and forth on when it's okay to fight. Yeah, I think policing when it's okay to fight is going to be tough because it happens in the moment and like it's, it's yeah. emotional. I but I but I do see why they're concerned with it, and like I see it all the time covering the Golden Knights. Braden McNabb is one of the cleanest hitters in the NHL. He hip checks like he he's not going after guys' heads. He's not hitting late. The guy, all his hits are hip checks. He 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 corners guys off as they're trying to cross the blue line, and he obliterates them into the <laughs> boards. And it he they try to fight him after every one like Braden McNabb after every hit because he's such a truck like every hit he lands is just massive the entire boards are shaking all the way around to the benches and then they try to fight him and it's like every time I'm like this poor guy has to get in a fight every time he does his job he's playing his position correctly yeah. he's doing everything he's supposed to do he's hitting him low around the hips shoulder area no, nowhere near the head and yet Every time he does it, the other team says, well, he just obliterated my guy. I've got to stand up for him. And he starts fighting him. And it's just I, I totally see why the league sees plays like that. And it's like, well, that guy can't just be fighting every time that he lands a clean hit. So I understand well, no one should why. be forced to fight if they don't right. want to. Right. Especially right. because because sometimes it's just not a fair trade as far as the guy who goes after the guy who committed the hit. Yeah, we'll take that that five that five minutes of you sitting in the box as opposed to being on the ice. No one should have to fight. Uh, apparently, some of the GMs, someone like Rob Blake, said they discussed making the instigator penalty even more severe. So if you're going after me, yeah, I may be in the box for five, but you're going to be in the box for a heck of a lot longer. Yeah. Um, some stats that came out, 100 of the 271 fights this season have been defending a teammate after a hit, which is that's that's a lot, 100 of 271. Um, of those 100 fights, 89 came after a clean hit. Wow. And 21 instigator penalties were called. So again, and I I kind of get it. I'm, I'm very much on the fence on this one because I, I find myself, Jesse, wrestling with a lot of old school thinking slash new school thinking. Um, you know, I grew up in a time where if you hit my superstar, clean or not, you're you're gonna pay. You've got it. You do that to give him room, right? But, but pay by place. hitting them clean. Like that's the thing. Yeah, like, it's you yeah. should be. Oh, you hit our guy. Next time you get the puck, keep your head up. I'm like totally okay with that. Like if we want to keep the physical part of hockey, but not let's drop our gloves and fight each other with skates on. Like yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So apparently GMs are concerned. That's obviously something they're gonna keep talking about and they're gonna keep you know analyzing. A couple other things. Uh, they talked about making skate protective equipment on wrists and legs mandatory duh like i mean we, we if we're we're going in that way they've made visors mandatory is this not a no-brainer i thought at least it was but then i'm hearing that someone like evander kane is still not wearing the protective gear on his arms uh i, I don't want to confirm that I, i'd heard that from a couple people but i don't i don't get it like is it really that difficult to adjust to i couldn't imagine not this not being just a no-brainer i remember it was either the day after or a couple days after the evander kane incident happened um i was in the golden knights locker room just talking to guys about it and they were basically saying like that's what all of them said was well yeah i mean i wear and they were showing me they're like look i wear this on my wrist like it, it literally couldn't happen to me like because i asked them like is that are you afraid of that happening it never even really crossed my mind and they're like no not really because look 
And most of them that I was talking to, I mean, I was talking to like a group of four or five of the guys that were kind of all in their stalls next to each other. They all wore that stuff. So it's, I, I think more players lean toward your thinking that this is a no brainer. Like I was already doing that. Um, I don't think they're probably going to get much pushback from players. I mean, maybe there's some old school guys that are like, Oh, it, it affects my, my wrist mobility. Like I, my hands won't be the same. I don't know, but like, it seems like this would be, I can't believe there were guys already like not, not, not yeah. wearing this, even when it, before it was mandatory. And you just you just make it mandatory the same way I always bring the same way there are laws for certain professions. If you're on a construction site, it by law, you have to have, you know, a hard hat on. These are just things that and there was a point in hockey where people didn't wear helmets. Well, then they started wearing helmets and then they started wearing visors. It's about player safety. So we'll wait and see on that one. Um, Obviously, all of these rules are, you know, the contingent of NHLPA. Uh, right. getting on board as well. Uh, one more, this is something you and I and Russo have talked about a lot on the show. Um, holding players out because of trade related reasons. It's the first time we've really seen it, uh, at least for a longer period of time, as I think I mentioned it like this last week, um, we used to see a player get held out of a game that meant get ready in the next couple hours. This player is going to be traded. Now we're seeing guys get held out for trade related reasons. They don't play for two weeks. We didn't like it. A lot of people have voiced their concerns, but Bill Daly said, quote, I'm not sure uh, it was that material, but certainly it raised some eyebrows. The manner in which we saw it, it wouldn't raise to a level of concern, but if it becomes a trend, obviously it would, end quote. And what kind of bothers me about that is I don't want the NHL to wait until it is a concern. I'd rather nip this in the bud. Absolutely. You cannot have Jacob Chikrin sitting out for two weeks. It's not good for the fans. It's not good for the game. It's not good for Jacob Chikorin. It's not good for his team. It's not good for anyone. Yeah, I totally agree. And I do think that, like, part of me says this is hard to police. And I look at the NBA and, like, the NBA, they've got the load management where they hold these guys out because we, they're, no, for no other reason than we just don't want you to play 82 games. So we're going to sit you out tonight. And that's become a problem. And they've tried to police it. But the problem is they can just say, well, he's, his ankle hurts. So he's pl- not playing tonight. And then what can anyone say about that? The, r- the way this differs, though, is you can't, I don't think, say, like, if they were to say you can't hold him out for trade-related reasons, then when, when you'd say, well, the GMs will just say, oh, he's got a lower body injury. But you can't say a guy's out with a lower body injury while trying to trade him, right? Because then you're going to have to tell the other GMs, like, he's not really out with a lower body injury. And Therefore, you're telling everyone that you're lying about it. Like so, so to me, maybe th- this is a little easier to police just because you can't use that excuse um, while trying to actively trade a guy. You can't lie and say he's hurt and not tell anyone. Like, know what I mean? So, yeah, I think there's a way to police this, and I totally agree with you. It they should the change should happen this off season. We just saw it for the first time ever on this scale. A lot, it, a it lot, should, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, that's what I'm saying. It had never been on this scale before, like maybe a couple days before, but this is the first time we've seen it. It should happen this off season. The change should happen this off season. Don't let this get out of hand before you start going out. I totally agree with you on that. Maybe something along the lines of if a player is sad for say three or four games for trade related reasons, the team he gets traded to can't use him for three or four games. You, you know, I'm just thinking about him for, right now. Yeah. You can't play him for the same amount of games he missed before you traded for him. Yeah. Or I don't know, something. I just, I didn't like it this year. I just thought, and I think a lot of teams maybe saw, 
the Arizonas of the world doing it went, oh, all right. I like this. We're not going to, you know, only do it when we're seconds away from a trade. Uh, but that was one of the ones the league has decided to table. So, yeah, GM meetings continue. We're going to hear from Russo and Gentile in the second half of the show. But a couple more things I want to get to, Jesse, before we actually go to break. Um, breaking news, the Boston Bruins are just ridiculous. They're just we, – we thought this team would have trouble making a playoff spot. I'm not one of these guys that likes to ignore my preseason predictions. I'll say it. I really didn't think this team would – well, I certainly didn't think they'd be doing what they're doing now, but I thought they'd have a tough time getting themselves into the playoffs. Um, and they go out and become the fastest team in NHL history to the 50-win mark. Didn't just 64 games. I know people are going to bring up the fact that, hey, other teams that maybe they beat, they had to deal with ties, blah, blah, blah. That's the history of the game. We're always going to deal with that. The previous record was the 2018-19 Lightning and the 95-96 Red Wings, who both did in 66 games. What more can we say about this team? They just, <laughs> funny enough, coming off a loss to the Chicago Blackhawks last night, but they just continue to blow away everyone in this league. Yeah, I mean, it's... Like the reason we all expected them to kind of fall off a little bit is just the age, right? I mean, like yeah. you look at their top players, Patrice Bergeron is 37, David Krejci, 36, Brad Marchand, 34, and they're all spectacular. Like they're, they're all playing like they're 22 years old. Um, it's pretty impressive. And and the fact that the goaltending, like we, nobody expected Linus Olmark to be a uh, runaway Vezina favorite like he has been awesome the entire team has been great there there are no holes in this team like they're there this isn't a offensive powerhouse that is going to try to outscore you but can't play defense or like they they are so strong at every level of the game um it's going to be really really tough for someone to beat them in a seven game series uh, but i can't wait to see teams try and i i keep saying this though whoever comes out of that east is going to be just weathered by the time they get to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, the West certainly is not that tough of a road compared to the East. Um, last week or the week before, we talked about what GM deserved the most. Uh, Venom, I guess, spewed their way in Pennsylvania. Was it Chuck Fletcher? Was it Ron Hextall? Well, one of them got themselves a pink slip this week. Chuck Fletcher out as Flyers GM. They elevate Danny Briere on an interim basis as, as the general manager. And of course, Fletcher was also the president of hockey operations. So two jobs there. Um, basically, the Flyers, I guess, didn't do enough at the offseason, didn't do anything at the trade deadline. JVR is still a Flyer. I'm wondering about the timing, though, Jesse, because some would argue, why didn't they just wait until the end of the regular season? Why, why do it now? But... When you're talking about a GM who's going to be planning for, say, the draft and everything else right. in the future of this team, if there's a problem, fix the problem now. Get people in who are you know, not going to sewer this team for the next, say, three to five years. Uh, your thoughts on the Flyers' moves? Yeah, I think, uh, like you mentioned, we all kind of saw it coming. Um, doesn't really come as a surprise, but I agree with you on the timing. I think not just the draft, but like free agency. Like you, I think bringing someone in as soon as you can to let them – evaluate this team look at the free look at the pending free agents see which guys you want to keep um, see which guys you want nothing to do with um, start looking towards the market to see which kind of guys you can target I don't think there's any harm in giving someone more time to prep for this offseason um, for what they're gonna do because like you said Fletcher they they felt like he didn't do enough last offseason to kind of start this rebuild the Flyers are in such a weird spot because that bubble year 
they go to what well, they went to the conference final, right? Like the, yeah. the the year in the bubble, and they were young. Like we looked at this team and we're like, wow, this team is they might be good for the next ten years. Like they've got all these young players and they're so good, and they've got Carter Hart, who's like a kid in net. And then they just fell apart. So then it like became a like, okay, they need to rebuild. They need to sell some of these UFAs, these pieces. And they just refused to do it. They just wouldn't do it. So I would assume the next GM is going to start that rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it. Um, and the more time he's got to work with, the better. But yeah, it's like I just this team is in such a weird spot. I think most teams are in an obvious either you're in a win now, go for it mode, or you're in a rebuild mode. And the Flyers, because of that that great year. It was such a weird year with the month layoff before the playoffs and all that. It just, they, that team was in a weird spot. So um, I, I kind of feel like, like not saying Fletcher did the best job, but I kind of feel for him. Like he, I don't really think there was a clear path of which way to go with that team, but they clearly thought he went the wrong way. They were decimated by injuries last year too. They had, they had yeah. a lot of man games lost, but again, this is not, a coach who can necessarily write the ship, like a GM, if you really believe the direction is going the wrong way, whether you agree or not, but if you do think that, then you just can't, a GM makes decisions that's going to affect a team for years to come. And if they're the wrong decisions, well, you can't have him making those decisions. And speaking of that, I don't know if you read uh, Pierre Lebrun's piece on The Athletic, kind of which GMs are on the hottest seat right now. Um, he had guys like Kyle Dubas on there last year, his contract lame duck GM. Anytime you got that one year remaining and you're in Toronto and you, if you don't get out of the first round of the playoffs, who knows what happens there? Brad for living in uh, Calgary, Ron Hextall, who's kind of twisting in the wind, Pierre Dorian um, in his seventh season at Ottawa, which GM do you think has the most to lose? <laughs> I was going to say in the playoffs, but I mean, Calgary could very well not make the playoffs. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think for sure in Calgary, um, that team was I mean, they were the best team in the Pacific Division last year. When they made that trade, everyone said Calgary got better. Wow, what a steal. Florida got screwed in this trade. The Flames actually got better having to trade Kachuk. I can't believe it. And they did not. Um, yeah. They've been bad. And like I've been watching quite a few Flames games lately just because they're kind of that's like the best playoff chase in the league right now. I think the Flames trying to catch those teams and they cannot win and they're not even playing good teams. Like no. I think they lost to Arizona last night. They are horrible. That team has been so bad. Um, I cannot believe you look at all the talent on that team. Uh, you know, I'm looking at Jacob Markstrom. I think he's one of the best goalies in the league. He has been abysmal this season. I don't know what happened. I do not know what happened to Jacob Markstrom. He sucks now. I don't, I don't understand it. Um, I like, in my opinion, going into the league, going into this year, I would have said he's top 10 goalie in the league. He hasn't, I don't even know if he's been the best goalie on his own team. Um, I don't know what's going on with him. The flames are strange. The Dubas thing is so frustrating to me because I feel bad for that guy. He, yeah. that team is so talented. Like the GM's job is to build a talented team. And he, I don't think anyone can argue that he hasn't like, he's done that. And for whatever reason, they just can't get it done in the playoffs. And a big reason is that they play the eventual Stanley cup champion or, or one of the best teams in the league every single time in the first round, they're going to have to do it again this year with Tampa Bay. And I can already see it happening. Like it's like you say, who's on the hottest seat. I say Calgary, in my opinion, should be, but at the same time, Toronto, if they lose in the first round, we already know how this story ends, and it's probably not going to be Kyle Dubas' fault if they do, but we already know how this ends. 
quickly back to, to Calgary. If I told you when that deal was made, that let's call it what it is, a blockbuster deal was made, that you and I would be hosting a show on March 15th and both of those teams would be out of a playoff spot. You would have said I'm nuts. You said I'm absolutely insane, crazy nuts that Florida and Calgary, it's just, that's just crazy to me. It's all riding on on this play. I, like, I don't even know if it's riding just on one playoff round for Toronto. It might very well be. If they get to the second round, is that like, okay, you bought yourself a little bit of time. We'll sign you to another lame duck, lame duck contract, give you one more year to try to, to, to fix this mess. But man, oh man, you're right. So talented. I like the moves he made at the deadline. Yeah. I don't know what else he could do. Uh, before we go to break, Jesse, goalie talk. Make you happy. Big smile on your yes. face. You and Russo did that uh, piece on why NHL nets are getting knocked off so often. I love your writing because of stuff like this. You know, you, you make me notice things that, and I know the Matt Murray situation where you knocked it over, you know, off the moorings three times, got everybody talking, but I know you and Russo kind of discovered a few things. Maybe the nets aren't being put back properly when they get knocked off. You've got the new style of goaltending, the reverse vertical horizontal. Uh, I'm no goalie expert. I don't like goalies. I've always been a forward. I like scoring goals. Uh, but one thing I thought was hilarious in your piece was that all goalies are like prisoners at Shawshank Prison. I didn't do it. I'm innocent. I mean, absolutely not. I think personally to me, there's it's somewhere in the middle. You've got new style of goaltending. You've got maybe they're not being put back on after they get knocked off. But also there are times when goalies are like, I pushed off there. I was trying to make a save and the net just happened to come off. Uh, how much fun did you have writing this piece? And what do you think of what you guys found out? Yeah, it was fun. Um, when, so when I was down in Florida for the All-Star game, I got to talk to all the goalies down there for, for a bunch of stories that I've been working on. But this one, it like it was in it was such a like hot news topic. Everyone's talking about Matt Murray knocking the goal, the, the, the net off the pegs. So I it was fun just talking to those guys and like they, they would kind of crack a smile as soon as I'd ask it like, oh, here we go like this. And and they all, I, I thought they were all pretty insightful. I agree with you. And like, I think even Vas, I think it was Vasilevsky that said, like, I don't think there are anyone, anyone that's doing it on purpose. But I think there are some guys who don't mind if the net comes off. Um, but yeah, I think and, and like Allmark to me gave the best explanation of why it's happening more. So the 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 RVH, the reverse vertical horizontal that you mentioned, like we all see those go like everyone watching may not know what the position's called, but everyone knows the goalie goes down on his knee and he hugs the post. And yeah. that's a new technique. Like 10 years ago, that technique didn't exist. Um, goalies were standing with their legs tightly squeezed together when the puck was on the side of the net. And it's not so much the actual technique. It's the fact that shooters started picking the top corner. Shooters realized, oh, wow, that position, you can't shoot anywhere but the top corner, but they are leaving that top corner open. So then shooters started sniping that top corner. Well, now goalies are getting into that position and then they're pushing their shoulder up into that top corner to to try to cover that hole. And if you think about it from a physics perspective, you're now getting inside the net. You're pushing your shoulder up onto the crossbar. What do you think is going to happen? It's going to lift the, the, the moorings off the net. So it's like. I don't know if goalies need to change their techniques because you can't have the net coming off all the time. And like, if this continues to be a trend and like, if it's just happening this much this year and it's going to be more and more and more and more as goalies start to do this, they're obviously going to have to change it. I don't think you can change the moorings to hold them in when you apply force up 
from below the crossbar. So maybe goalies around the world have to find a different way to cover the side of the net rather than this uh, pushing up on the, the crossbar so that you don't get sniped top shelf uh, technique. But it's interesting. And then, and then, like you said, they all, all the goalies said, mentioned the fact that, yeah, a lot of times the net comes off and then I see a bunch of snow in the hole and they don't take it out. They just, like, if, if, if you ever watch the, the ice crew during intermission, like they run the Zamboni and then the guys will bring a shop vac, like literally yeah. a vacuum out there and they'll vacuum all the snow and all the water out of those, uh, those peg holes so that they can go all the way down. And when it happens in the middle of a the game, they just kind of throw it back on. And then to me, that was what explained why, cause like Olmark had the great quote. I, it didn't happen to me for, for five years. It had never happened to me. And then it happened three times in one game. We see it with Murray three times in one game. And that's when really people start to get mad, right? It happens once. Nobody really cares if it keeps happening. And it makes sense that when you don't install it right, it's more likely to happen again. So it makes sense that it happens in bunches. Um, and now they've sent out a memo to all the referees to make sure they are putting the uh, moorings back on correctly. Another another duty for the referees to handle. <laughs> I love though too. It's like, wow, wh- where's the neck going to go? All these situations seem to happen when they're under attack. Uh, from the offensive players on the other team. Well, we, coincidence? <laughs> are, how could you possibly knock the net off when you aren't under attack? No, You're not- no, but I know. But what I'm saying is it's always when there's like a, a pretty sustained attack. It's not when there's just a, like a basic kind of, you know, save. And I, I just, I think it's funny. I love, I love, I love talking goalies with you. Cause you're like, look, man, they're good people. They're not doing anything. I will defend uh, them to the death. <laughs> uh, go back to the old seventies days where they drilled those posts basically to the center of the earth and they were not coming off. See what happens uh, then, but love the piece. Make sure to go read it uh, on the athletic because uh, it's Jesse being Jesse. And I love it. After the break, we're going to hear from Russo. Uh, in conversation with Flyers interim GM Danny Breer and uh, Sean Gentile is going to stop by to talk GM meetings. So don't go anywhere. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. As we discussed earlier, uh, Russo is not with us this week. He's at the GM meetings, but he did bring his tape recorder uh, and a Big piece of news this week, as we discussed, Chuck Fletcher out as Flyers GM. Danny Briere is in on an interim basis. Got the job just in time to jump on a plane and head to the GM meetings. And Russo had a chance to chat with him about the new gig and a whole bunch of other things in Philadelphia. But I do want to mention this before we get to the tape. Um, after Russo spoke to Danny Briere, a story and more particularly a video came to light uh, pretty much late Tuesday night. 
um, that allegedly shows Briere's son, Carson, at a bar uh, and throwing someone's wheelchair down the stairs. Uh, this kind of obviously exploded on social media. Uh, and again, this came out after Russo had already spoken to him. Uh, he attends Mercyhurst University and they released a statement saying, quote, uh, Mercyhurst University became aware of a disturbing video in which one of our student athletes is seen pushing an unoccupied wheelchair down a flight of stairs at a local establishment. Our Office of Student Conduct and Department of Police and Safety are investigating. That's where we stand right now, but we still wanted to play the tape for you uh, because Briere hits everything hockey-wise in Philadelphia. If anything comes out after this, we'll be sure to let you know. But here is our own Michael Russo with the interim GM of the Philadelphia Flyers, Daniel Breer. Well, uh, my pleasure to be joined by uh, Danny Breer. And, and uh, man, uh, unbelievable playoff career, uh, unbelievable regular season career. And uh, here you are, uh, your first GM's meetings. I got to think that your head is absolutely spinning right now. Hey, it is. It is. I'm trying to figure a way to get my bearings back. Um, everything happened so quick uh, the last few days, but it's uh, it's ex- it's exciting. Um, you know, I lost a, a good man in Chuck Fletcher, so it's a little bittersweet there. Um, he was he was t- tremendous human being, one mm-hmm. of the best in, in hockey. So that's always tough, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's the business of hockey, and um, no, I'm I'm really ecstatic and uh, excited about the future and what we can do with the Flyers. So we'll see where uh, where it takes us. It's been a long time since you were a rookie, uh, <laughs> you know, and then you show up here, and you, I mean, you were joking just during your press availability. You didn't even know there was a GM's meeting. Next thing you know, you're booking a flight down here. <laughs> That's right. It came. Uh, it came extremely quick. I thought, okay, um, I'll have plenty of times to do, you know, and reach out to people that were, that were contacting me, congratulating me, um, you know. And all of a sudden, no, you got to go to Florida for the GM meeting. So <laughs> it happened all quick. But I, I kind of like the timing of it because um, I have the chance to, to meet the other 31 GMs uh, around the league, and I don't have to make calls uh, one by one. Um, you know, I get to see them face-to-face, shake their hands, and get to know them, start building relationships with these guys. Julian Breesby was saying that when he first became a GM, that when he was named in Tampa, that it was unbelievable, like within 24 hours, how everybody reached out to him. Um, and David Poyle said in 1982, he goes to his first GM's meetings and nobody even said a word to him. Like, you know, it was that type of thing. It's a little different now. I mean, you were welcomed right away by Coley Campbell and yeah, all Yeah, yeah, right away. I was, I was really amazed by mm-hmm. um, how willing uh, everybody is to, to help you out. Um, the GM, the staff at the NHL level, you know, and, and most of the comments I was hearing from from those guys were, you know, we're all competitive. We all want to win as much as the next guy. But uh, other than that, like we want to help each other out. There's only two, 32 of those jobs in the world, and we, uh, you know, it's a select club, and we we want to help each other out. So if you have anything, uh, any questions, don't don't be afraid to reach out. So that's kind of the, been the the message from uh, many many GMs. So that was really cool to to see walking in. Well, is it cool when you walk in there too and you see a couple former teammates here? Yeah. You got Drury running the the Rangers. You got Mike Greer ending his first year in San Jose. Yeah. I mean that's one. It shows you that that it's not the same old you know GMs every single year yeah. in the National Hockey League, but. But uh, it's a lot of guys, make, yeah, yeah, a lot of guys that I played against too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Rob Blake, the Kevin Adams, the Bill Guerin. I, yep. I could keep going on. So it's it's really cool that way. The guys, uh, um, you know, I, it's funny. I was a little nervous coming in first meetings. I didn't mm-hmm. know what the process was and how how you know 
everything works. But at the same time, you know, I was not intimidated. Um, mm-hmm. I knew a lot of those guys, and they're they're all great guys. So um, it was it's mostly exciting and a little nervous when I, when I walked in. What what is it about you that even as a player you never were intimidated? I mean, you were such an exciting player to watch. But the second that switch turned to <laughs> April fifteenth. I mean, you became just almost, as somebody said on Twitter, superhuman. I, I, I don't know. I don't really know exactly how to, um, to explain it. Um, there's always the best time of the year. E- even to this day, you know, April comes around and it's, uh, it's my favorite time of the year. Uh, I love playoff hockey. Um, you know, I, I have, you know, different reasons here that I think why it happened that way. But I, I, if I knew exactly why, you know, I... I I'd be jumping on that. Um, I, I'm not too sure, but uh, you know, I, I've always loved the big moments. Um, you know, and I'm not the only one. I, I know of a certain Chris Drury who's kind of that way too. So <laughs> yeah, right. I, I learned a lot from him as well with my in our playing days together in yeah. Buffalo. It's amazing actually how many incredible hockey players are in that room. Uh, it, it's it's pretty cool to see. Um, so you become the the interim GM. I mean, what is the plan now? Because uh, like watching your press conference the other day, and even just talking to you today, you don't come off as somebody that that is the what we would think <laughs> is an interim. I mean, it's it feels like the job is going to be yours, and you're going in there with a plan to really you know turn the Flyers around. Well, that's the plan. That's what I'm going with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a feeling that they they trust me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think the interim tag is the right thing to do at the moment. Um, you know, go through the process and and make sure they make it make the right decision. Um, gives them the chance to 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 look around. Um, you know, and, and and evaluate everything in the organization. So I'm I'm all for it. Um, you know, I, I think it's the right thing to do. So I, I don't have a problem with it. But at the same time, I got to prepare. Um, in the in the meantime, yeah, there's the, the the word interim there, but there's also the word GM, and I got to move forward and mm. deal with my staff and um, you know make sure there there's some guidance there and in, in what needs to be done next. So when you're you're a very busy man, you have a wife, four kids. Uh, like when you are at home and now you're putting together your to-do list how do you even prioritize what now is next yeah uh, so it's you, funny yeah. I, I, I was just texting my wife uh, earlier today about you know I have to find a way to get better at time management that's <laughs> going to be probably the the most important part uh, moving forward uh, but I, th- I think it's a little uh, crazy at the moment just because of um, it just happens so so mm-hmm. soon, and um, you know everybody's reaching out. Uh, we talked about that earlier. Uh, how Julian and you know said that it was crazy. I mean, I had some big moments as far as players winning mm-hmm. some some big playoff rounds, playing the Stanley Cup Finals, scoring some big goals. Uh, my retirement, some of the trades that I've been through. I never got as much attention, you know, from uh, everybody around me, uh, receiving notes and messages and, you know, of support. So um, it's it's been absolutely crazy the amount of response that I've received. So I'm I'm trying to still trying to catch up on that, um, you know, four days later. And, you know, usually I'm always someone that gets back to everybody. Um, It was so busy at one point, my phone crashed. Um, You know, there's so many texts that I've lost some texts. So uh, again, if someone hears that and I haven't 
haven't reached out. It's not that I didn't <laughs> want to. It's just, you know, I lost the text. So I apologize for that. Um, but it's it, it's been overwhelming um, in a good way um, to see the, the response from everyone. And yet you found time to play pickleball yesterday with Julian Brisois and Yormo Kekalainen <laughs> and George Paris, your old Anaheim teammate. My, my Montreal Canadiens yeah. line mate. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah so it was, uh, it was pretty cool. It was, it was awesome for these guys to invite me. Um, I was just a rookie trying to keep up with them. They're, they're impressive players. Um, but it, it was a great afternoon, and, you know, it, it's a way to start creating relationships with yeah. those guys. I don't know how I said Anaheim there. I was just uh, having Anaheim on my mind after just uh, talking to them. Um, yesterday at the press conference, or a couple days ago at the press conference, I mean, you made it, uh, you, you know, I know everything's a semantics game, aggressive retool, rebuild, um, <laughs> stuff like that, but you, you weren't shy in saying that this is not going to be a a quick fix and that you that this is going to be a, a, a quasi rebuild one do you think flyers fans are going to be patient for that and um but it really is there any choice right now with the way that the flyers are currently yeah. orchestrated i i think the fans will understand i think our mm-hmm. fans are too smart they've realized that um you know for so many years uh now we've been kind of stuck in in the middle and middle of nowhere mm-hmm. as far as the standing almost making the playoffs sometimes getting in sometimes not um you know my, my goal is is to build Build a strong team that aspires to win mm-hmm. the Stanley Cup, not just for a year or two here and there, uh, but for many years to come. And that's that's my plan. I think the uh, the fans. Um, I mean, obviously, we'll. I'll need a little bit of their patience, you know, in, in the next couple of years. Uh, it, it might be a tough going. Uh, but I also believe if, if they know the plan and uh, we're honest with them that, you know, they'll understand. Um, we have some good young players, um, you know, and they'll probably be um, kind of the, the place we start focusing on uh, moving forward. And, and I think people will, uh, will accept that. And it's not going to be easy, like I said, but mm-hmm. um, I think they'll jump on board. But, and you made it very clear that this you don't anticipate a fire sale that you have a, a set maybe i don't know if you voiced who the core would be but that you have a core not yet group, i yeah. haven't used names mm-hmm. um you know I, I don't like using names singling out you know good or bad mm-hmm. and, and players uh that way um you know hockey's such a great team game uh try to keep it that that way as much as possible but um there are and yeah and i don't believe you know uh, rebuilding doesn't mean fire sale. I mean, there's going to be some some movement, uh, most likely, um, but it's 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 too early to tell to to which degree. Um, how have you? I know that you've obviously been around and all that. Have you been meeting with John Trudella throughout the process, and then since obviously became GM? Uh, you know, have you have you had that chance to sit yeah. down with him and talk about well, the team? I, I was part of the interview process mm-hmm. last summer. Um, John was was my choice uh, as well, my number one choice. So um, I was really excited about that, that he accepted mm-hmm. the challenge. Um, I have a great relationship with, with John. I had him as an assistant coach when I started in the league in, <laughs> in Phoenix. So um, it's pretty cool how things, uh, you know, come back around 23, 24 years later. Um, so uh, I have a great relationship with John. We've had the chance to sit down uh, since I was nominated uh, once for uh, for a lengthy discussion. And, and I plan to um, doing that more often with mm-hmm. him, too. Uh, I think, you know, I, I know the players, I know the staff, but um, I, I want to sit down with him and get to know deep deeper what uh, what he thinks of our players, where where he thinks uh, we're headed with them. And um, now that's that's going to be the kind of the focus in, in the last four or five weeks of the season. Your, your path to get here, it is fascinating. I mean, you started in the ECHL with the Maine Mariners and you you went there also to run the business too, right? I mean, Correct. Yeah. So you've I mean, you was that a conscious decision to, to try to get to this point? 
my, my biggest thing, yeah, hockey was always, is my passion. So mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to be in hockey. Um, you know, I, I didn't know this door opened up. Um, you know, I was invited to kind of get involved on, on the business side. And then um, Comcast back to core bought this ECHL franchise mm-hmm. from Alaska and moved them to uh, Portland, Maine. They offered me the job as, as president. Um, <laughs> now, this, the scary part is it was mostly on the business side that uh-huh. I had to, to figure out things out to start, especially because it was completely new. We didn't have a name. We didn't have a logo. We didn't have colors. We didn't have fans. We didn't have players. Um, so early on, the focus was on the business side. To build the, the brand, um, you know, it, it, it was interesting. It was a great experience. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the business side. And so, as a player, it's those things you don't really think mm-hmm. about when when you're a player. You just show up to the rank and you think that everything's in place. And they put a couple ushers there. They open to sell food, and you know, you're the show. But uh, getting on the other side, I realized there's so many moving pieces and so many people needed. So it was it was an eye opener for me. Um, so I learned a lot there. But then I also got to be involved on the hockey team and building a hockey team and finding some good hockey people to, to help me, um, you know, and then graduating to, you know, player development and getting more involved in the Flyers and slowly making my way. One of the things that, that was important for me was, um, you know, I, I had heard so many um, executives say, you know, ex-hockey players, most of them are not willing to put in the work yeah. to get to, uh, you know, where they want to get. And, and I wanted to show everybody that, I wasn't afraid. I was willing to work. I love hockey and, and, you know, I was willing to put in the work. I didn't know where it was going to take me. It's not like I had a goal in mind that I was going to be a GM one day. It was more about, look, I love hockey. I'm going to get involved. I'm, I want to put the time in. And I loved it. I loved what I was doing. So it, it wasn't a chore. It wasn't a job. Um, I was just having fun the last few years and kind of took me to uh, to this spot today. That's amazing. And it, and you you have a lot of respect for the ECHL. I mean, you were an, I remember. I mean, obviously you were an international star, but AHL star. You're old enough. You played one game in the IHL. Mm-hmm, uh, that's right. Um, but uh, what was that ECHL like? I mean, I was. Um, when I first, was first offered the job, I, I was a little worried. Um, mm-hmm. I remember the ECHL from the late 90s. Uh, I had heard horror stories, and it scared me a little bit at first. But then, you know, I started getting involved, and I realized how how well run it was mm-hmm. uh, now. There's so many people put on a lot of work, and they're in uh, really good hands now with Ryan Creelan um, as the uh, the commissioner. So uh, it, it, it was a f- it was fun. Uh, it was a blast. I learned a lot. Um, you know, and, and I know people roll their eyes and what, what's Danny Breer doing, you know, uh, going back to the ECHL. But <laughs> it, it was uh, it was great for me personally. And I'm very, very th- thankful of all the teams, executives and people at the league offices kind of training me early on because I, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, And every G- new GM that I ever talk to, they're always amazed at, you know, when you become a GM, you think, all right, I'm going to trade players. I'm going <laughs> to scout. I'm going to put the team together. You don't realize how many business calls you have in a day. I mean, yeah. Bill Guerin has his day is just being on meetings um you know in minnesota so that's what i'm realizing right now like just the last few days how many uh uh, phone calls (laughs) and meetings are are in place um you know time management and uh people management is uh you know i i think something that i uh believe i can do really well and i'm going to try to use use that to uh, to be successful When, when you look at the flyers right now with player development is that something that you feel like is at a at a perfect spot or is that something that does need to improve right now in philly well, it's going to be a key. Um, that's something we'll need to evaluate. It's going to be key for us moving forward. 
because when you're you're rebuilding, mm-hmm. uh, obviously the the young guys are yeah. the priority. Um, so it's it's definitely going to be um, a crucial part of of what we do um, the next few years. Um, a- analytics is a question that Jason want to know. What your just your vision with analytics? How into it are you? How uh, is that something that uh, right now that you feel like is a strength in the in the flower organization? I, I I do believe I do believe that it's extremely important. Um, I, but also be honest that you know I, I'm not an expert. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the right people, some good people in place that are going to help me. Um, you know I had the chance to to dive into it this year. We did a project with uh, Travis Konechny that's that's out there. Um, a, a little bit, uh, you know, not exactly what what we did, but uh, people are aware that that we did. But I, I work with the uh, the analytics group uh, on our team, and it was amazing. I basically, you know, I said I, I see some things with my eyes can the numbers back it up and mm-hmm. and it was eye-opening again for me to to work with these people and to see what the numbers can tell you um so i plan on uh, on using them a lot and including them in mm-hmm. in the future of the flyers i got a, f- a couple funny questions from flyers fans saying are you sure you can handle a second stint with them with the <laughs> flyers fans having a you know now you know you dealt with it as a player and obviously you know it's yep. a tough market you know what as a player, what I had to to to, to go through was awesome. Mm-hmm. The best response I can give them is that you know I, I loved playing in front of fans that cared about what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, they would let you know, and they would push you uh, to get better and push the limit every single night, and that's what I really appreciated from, from them. So I expect the same thing, you know, in the new role that, that I am. They're going to let me know uh, <laughs> if it's not good enough, um, you know, but they're passionate, they're, they're knowledgeable, they know what, uh, what they're talking about. So I don't have a problem. Again, I'm, I'm excited that uh, they care about what I'm doing. So yeah. to me, you know, I, I'd rather have it that way than, um, you know, doing a job for, you know, people that didn't even care or didn't matter what I did. So that's, that's my approach to it. Um, I love that they're passionate about yeah. their team just as much as I am. I've, I've bled orange for for a long time, and uh, you know I'm really proud of that, that 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 team, that logo, and in the city. That's awesome. And just lastly, what what is next, uh, Danny? Like, how do you like you were talking about? Just you know, yesterday you were saying I'm just trying to get my bearings. <laughs> how do you like? What is the next step in evaluating this team and maybe uh, supplementing your staff? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's going to be a while before you can make a trade. <laughs> yeah. So I, I can't, uh, you know, I'm can't make very many changes yeah. as far as the product on the ice from here till probably near the draft. So that on that front, it's probably going to be quiet a little bit. Now it's more, um, getting to know uh, a little better, um, our staff, spending time with them, kind of, uh, put some parameters in place of the new guidance and uh, the structure that we're going to have. That's probably, I would say, what's going to be the focus moving forward in the next, uh, you know, couple months. Yeah. By the way, somebody asked, uh, what's your favorite cheesesteak place in uh, Philly? Do you, are, <laughs> you want to throw that out or you want to be diplomatic? You know, I, I live around the corner from gyms, so I, I'd probably have to go with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, um, you know, congratulations, uh, Daniel. I mean, it's, it's it really is just awesome. You're such an incredible player for all of us to watch um, Thank you and so to much. cover. Um, so we're, I think we're all really excited to see how this goes in, in Philly, and it's just got to be... Uh, it's got. I mean, I gotta think that you're trying to get your head wrapped around everything right now, but it's got to be exciting as well. It's, it, it's got to be honored. One of 32 GMs in that room. Exactly. Today. It's a great honor and it's mm-hmm. exciting. Um, I can't wait really to to get back to Philly and get going. 
Okay, that is uh, Danny Barrer, and back to you, Rob. Thank you very much, Mike. And we're going to stick with Mike because uh, he had a chance to chat with Gentilly a little bit about the topics discussed at the GM meetings that Jesse and I kind of hit in segment number one. So here is Mike Russo with Sean Gentilly. All right, thanks, Rob. Uh, this is Michael Russo down in South Florida with uh, Sean Gentilly, and we just wrapped up uh, three days of GM's meetings in this uh, beautiful neck of the woods. Um, Gary Bettman just uh, addressed the media to discuss uh, and break down everything that happened this week at the GM's meetings. And the biggest topic today was uh, RSNs. Uh, mm -hmm. Yesterday, Diamond Sports finally, um, after uh, really several weeks of reports that this was heading this direction, uh, filed for Chapter 11 uh, protection. And, um, and as you mentioned also to Gary, uh, uh, March 31st is a deadline that AT&T essentially, Sean, is yep. supposed to stop with uh, Avs games and and uh, Penguins games as well. So we got an update, and this is uh, something that clearly Gary Bettman has basically said that they fully expect that they are going to be on these regional networks till at the minimum end of the season. Were you surprised by that? I, I feel like I feel like we got them nailed down on a on a <laughs> to, to a plan, which I was I really wasn't expecting. Well, like, I mean, it seems like stuff has crystallized over the last couple of days with this, right? Whether yeah. we're talking about NBA teams yep. or whatever, we do know now, and I don't think we knew this before that Avs games and Penguins games, at least through the end of the regular season, are going to be on AT&T Sportsnet, which like didn't seem like a given. So, yes, there's a huge... Obviously, it's a gigantic league-wide problem because of, because of Bally Sports more than anything else. But we do know that you know, through the end of the regular season, the fans of those teams can at least relax uh, for, for as long as that lasts. Yeah, and, um, you know, the basically, I, I know that the majority of teams have gotten their rights fees and things like that. I did uh, fully anticipate that Bally's was going to, at a minimum, be basically uh, have these games on their air until the end of the season. The question is, what's going to happen moving forward? Obviously, the playoffs first round are also on some regional networks side-by-side -side with national but clearly, there is some sort of plan on what happens in the future. We've mm -hmm. seen MLB and NBA start to talk about their um, plans, and I think the NHL is trying to figure out, too, what could they do to distribute these games in the future if essentially Bally's disappears or a diamond disappears? Um, do they take over the production? How do they distribute it? It is going to be um, clearly a very expensive process because of the number of, uh, of facets that go into putting a game over the air. Absolutely. It's an expensive process, and also it's a complicated process now because you have different methods of getting these games in front of people right you have yes you have rsns like over the air um, not over the air but cable cable broadcast you have the streaming element you have a lot of different a lot of different things at play um and it'll be interesting to see how, how that works not just not just march 31st not just in the playoffs but moving forward absolutely because and, because and also for the record i i, I didn't want to say this because we, we didn't we didn't quite clarify it when when we you know spoke with Gary, but that March thirty first date is the date that the AT and T networks rights revert to the franchises. So starting on March thirty first or, or April first, I suppose, the Penguins and uh, the Avalanche are going to own the rights to their own to their own local broadcast, right? So so that does make sense that the stopgap lifeboat measure for, you know, the last couple of weeks of the regular season is going to be continuing to broadcast. And, and, like and you know, if you actually think about it, there's only, what, four or five games pretty much. Uh, yeah, maybe it's not maybe my, a little more. You know what's here? Honestly, my only question was if, is if those teams would be just f so frustrated, honestly, with the, with the, with the overall situation and, and would say, you know, okay, screw it. Uh, we're going to take our games and we're going to put them on, 
the local, you know, CW affiliate yeah. or whatever. I truly, because that's yeah. that seriously would have been an option. Those teams can do as they please with their broadcast starting on March 31st. They're, that means they were to throw them on, yeah, on on the Penguins website or, you know, Fox 53 and in, in in Pittsburgh. Like that's that's what, theoretically what they could have done. But we do know that they're staying put for the time being. Um, and as you alluded, I mean, Gary did basically say that uh, w- th- that things are evolving in broadcast medium, and they clearly have a short term plan, but they're going to have to come up with a long term plan. And streaming is going to have to be a part of that. Uh, let's move on to some of the other topics that we got. This was an interesting uh, GM's meetings because it's <laughs> there wasn't a lot that they really there were no you know rule changes that they're bringing in the yeah, competition as meeting. they reminded. Yeah. As they reminded us many times, yeah. the game's like, everything great. is fine. Yeah. There, are, there, are, there, there are no problems yeah. here, and everything is cyclical. But the biggest thing mm-hmm. that is clearly uh, headed that is going to come out of this—it's not official yet. They're going to continue to talk about it, but it's going to eventually, I think, go to the the, the competition committee mm-hmm. in June to maybe get approval. But they want to expand coaches' challenges to friendly fire, high sticks, and um, pucks over the glass. And the, the, the issue with, obviously, coaches' challenges is that if you're wrong, it's going to be a power right. play. And if you're doing it on a high stick and you're already on a PK, it's going to be a five-on-three. But as Brad Tree Living, the Calgary Flames mm-hmm. GM, um, you know, really pointed out, is that just like offsides challenges, where the majority of the times that you're going to actually call for an offsides challenge, you pretty much know that the player was offside. Right. He thinks that it'll be in the same thing here, that you're just kind of helping out the officials say, uh, hello, right. that puck actually hit the glass there. I was surprised at the uniformity to their response. And, and look, these <laughs> the, these guys are these guys are pros. They they get on the same page, unified public front, all that all that stuff. But I was surprised at the uniformity from GMs in saying that the that the route here in the way to in the way to do this is through a coach's challenge, not necessarily yeah. a, a, an automatic booth challenge. Everybody said it. I think Kent Hughes was maybe the first I, I heard to say it. Canadian's general manager Kent Hughes. Said, you know, yep, this is the way it needs to be because there are too many high stick calls and there are too many puck over glass calls over the course of a game to rely, you know, too too heavily on uh, on on the booth to do it. So yeah, there everybody is down with the onus being placed on the coaches and in the video staffs to make decisions as, as they as they see fit. It seems like everybody's on the same page with that one. Uh, right now, it looks like the cap is going to continue uh, to only go up one million dollars. Um, Gary Bettman said that they're basically closer to a hundred million dollars of the. Owners being paid back. Mm-hmm. Um, and while they can have a conversation, and Marty Walsh, the new NHLPA executive director, actually starts today, while they can have a conversation and a discussion with the NHLPA on this subject, what he quickly reminded is that if the escrow is not paid off and they prematurely say, hey, you know what, the cap um, can go up three or four million dollars or whatever it is, that right now the escrow rate would have to go up because they, it's locked in at six percent. Mm-hmm. So it really does seem like the GMs left here today. Um, obviously, after the season, HRR will have to be audited and they'll figure out exactly where they're at with that. But um, they're leaving today still with the anticipation that they are not going to have a four and a half million dollar increase this summer. It's going to be one million dollars. I was, I was, uh, Maybe not surprised because we've heard about the million dollar increase like pretty steadily for the last couple months, but it does seem like they that's the number they're working under, right? And then the with the assumption, I think that they're that Gary clearly is comfortable making that odds are good that not this not this coming season, but the one after that will be the one when we see the the four or four four and a half million dollar jump. And uh, trade related reasons was another topic today. Obviously, this was a uh, we you know. (laughs) 
Guys have been pulled out of lineups yeah. for 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 you know asset protection for a long, long time. I mean, Bill Guerin back in like '09 was actually pulled out of yep. lineup of the Islanders lineup. So this is not well. something yep. new. What was different this year is weeks upon weeks of it. Right, <laughs> started with Chikrin, then went to Gravikov. Mm. Chikrin seemed to be fine with it. Gravikov clearly, by reports, yeah, were, did, was, not, was not was not um, But but the GM has made it very clear this is not a topic right now. Now they they they're hoping this is a one off. We all know it's not going to be. You know, um, you know what was funny, honestly, it was hearing uh, again unified front from the, yeah. from the from the thirty two. Here are your talking they're, points. They're saying like. Nope, this is fine. It's not a problem at all. Things happen. Like we're okay with it. We're not worried about trade related reasons. You know, nothing to see here. <laughs> and then the caveat after that was like, but if it happens again, like we might have to have a discussion. Yeah. So you know, nope, nope. Pay pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. But if we get year two of this, where the the next version of of uh, Vladislav Gavrikov sits for you know three weeks ag- against his will, then we might have a problem. Send sale update. What do you got for us, Sean? <laughs> oh, uh, we did not. When sp- is Ryan Reynolds? Well, I was. Do I was. Know? That's exactly what I was going to say. Somehow, and credit to credit to Gary on this, he gave an update without specifically referencing Ryan Reynolds, which is <laughs> shocking. I, I feel like it's by law. Pierre Dorian has to get at least one or two. Uh, one one or two Ryan Reynolds questions when he's when when this comes up. Um, they're moving on to phase two of uh, of the process, which is basically when you take the initial set of bids and kind of winnow it down to a, a more manageable number. We've seen reports specifically from Sportico that there were nine viable bids uh, for the Sens. I think Gary took uh, took uh, made a point to throw some water on on that on that one today, or or at least you know say a bit. Give the classic Batman, you know, don't all don't necessarily believe what you read <laughs> on the on on the number of bids there. So what so whether it's nine, whether it's more, whether it's less, the plan now is for over the next couple of weeks, it sounds like to Whittle get get that to a more manageable number. And then from you know, whenever this is all said and done and someone buys the Ottawa Senators, the arena answer the the arena question will be left up to them whether they want to try to you know forge ahead in in in, uh, in LeBreton Flats or or whatever this isn't tied to an arena deal that was that was another specific kind of answer that uh that that Gary gave yeah classic Gary answer on the uh, Ottawa sale while you're reducing the number of parties you're hoping increasing the magnitude of their interest for those are, that are remaining that's yeah, the next that step a, I think I laughed out loud when he said that one yeah uh, want to talk to you about Atlanta in a second mm-hmm. but uh, Arizona let's just discuss there uh, you know he did another little campaign to get May 16th referendum approved May 16th remember is the date that uh, Tempe is voting to see if this one billion dollar uh, or more than that uh, arena district can be approved uh, I was just in Arizona mm-hmm. uh, there lots of videos of Gary Bettman and Shane Doan and Bill Armstrong on local TV uh, saying how great this will be um, for the community. LTI, I thought was an interesting thing. Uh, Gary basically said that's not that this is not no a, an deal. issue. No big he, deal. Yep. He said uh, <laughs> short said term trade, issue. Trades involve players. Trades involve draft picks and they involve cap room. Cap room is a val- very valuable asset under a cap system. And at a particular point in time, you can maximize the other assets that you can achieve by using. <laughs> I think in our in our power ranking of Gary yeah. answers to today, I think that's towards the top. Trades involve players, and they, in, and they yeah. involve cap space, and they involve whatever else. That's a that's a classic one. Uh, playoff format, he still says that if you actually look at the standings, uh, the one versus one versus eight, two versus seven, all that versus what the current system, that they are actually yeah. very little things. And he basically said that some people might have a preference for doing things differently, but this is working oh, well. well. This yeah, is it. It means right? this is his preference. Yeah, totally. Um, and let's talk about Atlanta uh, because t- that was go. a fun conversation to bring up with him today. You and I have gotten some opinions of people mm-hmm. like Don Waddell and Kevin Sheveldayoff, David Poyle, people that have worked in Atlanta before. Um, you know, G- Gary gave the answer that he always gives 
uh, when talking about different uh, markets and expansion and relocation is that they get interest from all sorts of, uh, you know, interested parties and bringing teams to their city, owners, things like that. He brought up Atlanta, Houston, Quebec City, but he just said that we are not in expansion mode right now and that there's nothing on the front burner for that. But it was still a fun conversation to see if Atlanta, if third time, third, you know, three times a charm. It's also a nice little uh, reminder to maybe the Ottawa's or Arizona's of the world who who, are, yeah, who, who have F- who have that arena, the outstanding arena question in both those spots. They're like, oh, we're, not, we're we're not we're not in expansion mode, but there's a <laughs> you never know when we enter into a into a different a different you know perhaps relocation mode. That's always that's always at least a theoretical possibility. Uh, what was your favorite part of the weekend? Mine was uh, I always like this weekend to watch Gary in this laid back atmosphere. You know, Tay's doing in a little sweater and a you know <laughs> jeans, ca- casual, yeah, casual yeah you know, it's casual, casual Batman. What's your favorite part of the, doing this type of stuff? Oh, I think I, I think it was uh, I, I think it was when the commissioner rolled up in the Porsche. Uh, almost ran us oh, over. I, he almost ran you over, man. You almost t- he almost had a, had an emergency room trip uh, for 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 your foot getting clipped by uh by Gary's Porsche. That was that was the highlight. Also yeah. also the sheer amount of uh, fish tacos that I've managed to eat in seventy two hours. <laughs> Very impressive. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, the best part of this weekend more is just to chat with the GMs. I mean, this is where you get them on an informal mm-hmm. basis and things like that. Uh, Sean, it was a blast covering this weekend with you at this incredible uh, hotel as well. Yep. Um, uh, thanks also our, our buddy Craig Custance is down here a little while. Actually, my favorite part of the weekend, I went to dinner with Lou Nanny and Elliot Friedman the other night, and those are always like yeah. Lou Nanny yeah. stories. That's great. Are just pretty pretty you get ridiculous. To, you got to eat with Lou Nanny and, and, and Elliot. You know, you know who I got stuck with. <laughs> back to you guys thanks as always boys rapid fire coming up after the break victorinox the makers of the original swiss army knife have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges mastering functionality innovation iconic design and uncompromising quality with its products the victorinox swiss army knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it tweezers a screwdriver and even a corkscrew With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, my favorite time of the show and yours, Jesse, rapid fire, and we're going to start with some injury talk. Bad news for the Hurricanes. Andre Svechnikov out for the season with a torn ACL. He's got to have surgery. Uh, that's going to take place tomorrow in rally. 55 points in 64 games this year. This is a team that certainly is in contention to win the Stanley Cup, and this is a huge blow for Carolina. Absolutely brutal. Um I will say this Hurricanes were my preseason pick to win the Stanley Cup. And at the Athletic, like every month, they've been having us redo our picks. I think we're on like prediction 6.0. I have picked the Hurricanes six times. That is my pick to win the Stanley Cup. And suddenly I am not so sure because he is so good. He's such an integral part of what they do. I think this team is still really good. I think their biggest strength is the fact that they get scoring from everywhere. 
Um, like this, there are other teams that if their star player went out, they'd be in more trouble. Um, I think the Hurricanes are built to withstand this, but I, the East is so tough, and you've got all these teams getting better and stacking up, and suddenly the Hurricanes are without one of their best players, um, arguably their best offensive player. That is an absolutely brutal blow for a team that, like I said, I, I thought was heading for a Stanley Cup final. You mentioned teams that if a star player goes out, they're in trouble. How about the Minnesota Wild? Kirill Kaprizov gone a month uh, with an injury, and this this is just a team that can't spare the scoring. I mean, they're 26th in the league with a 2.75 goals per game average, 31st in five on five goals. Uh, this is a huge blow. Like apparently, they're they're hoping he's good for the playoffs and and has a little bit of time to kind of get himself back into into game shape into the groove before the postseason. But this is. For a team that can't score, taking one of the best scorers, not only on your team, but in the league, out of your lineup for a month hurts too. Yeah, and and this team finally kind of got on a run. Like it's, I think they've only lost like three games in their last 12 or, or 15 or so. Um, they For a while there, it looked like they may not even be a playoff team. We were wondering, is this team going to make it? They've gone on this run. They've looked really good. They haven't scored any goals, but they've got great goaltending from Gustafson and Flurry back there. And they've been winning a lot of close games. And I think they're all the way up. Yeah, second place in the in the Central. I, I don't think they're going to have a hard time holding on to the playoffs. Like Calgary and Nashville are those two chasing teams, and they both can't win a game. Um, so I think Minnesota's safely in the playoffs. But like you said, even if you get Kaprizov back right before the playoffs, like is he going to be 100%? We've seen a million times guys come back. It's hard to jump back into action, especially when it's at playoff hockey, that intensity level. Um, another brutal blow. And like you said, they are not as equipped as the Hurricanes to deal with losing a star score. This team can't score. Like they, outside of Kaprizov, they don't do much um, in terms of putting the puck in the net. So it's a really tough blow for a team that I don't think Minnesota, as a, I don't think of them as a contender, but the West is so wide open. Like if, like we, I, I'm personally of the opinion that Colorado's going to turn it on and kill everyone. But if they don't, Someone's got to win the West, right? Like yeah. one of these teams has to come out. And and if you're Minnesota, you feel like you've got as good a chance as anyone. Um, but not if Kaprizov's not at 100%. And finally, speaking of the West, um, Winnipeg. You know, we're, we're in an age now where goaltenders sometimes can be, is pampered the right word? I don't know. No playing on back-to-backs, always worrying about their games played. But desperate times call for desperate measures. Connor Halibut's been playing a whole lot of hockey right now. They're clinging to that second wild card in the West. Um, is is this going to catch up to them? Is what I'm wondering. Or is this desperate times call for desperate measures? We need to get ourselves in a playoff spot. You put the best goalie in every single game. I think I agree with desperate times. We have to do this. It's the right thing to do. But I also do think it is going to catch up with them. Like I was a big proponent. So all those years where Carey Price would get to the playoffs and not play well. Um, Sergey Bobrovsky was another one that he'd get to the playoffs and not play well. And everyone was like, oh, they're chokers. They don't play well. To me, it's, well, he looks tired. He's played 70 games. Yeah, That's what you get. And I agree with that. And I think Hellebuck is probably going to be worn out. And I don't see him putting together a Con Smythe type of performance in the playoffs if he's got to play 19 of the last 20 games of the season to get you there. But at the same time, you're not going to be in the playoffs if you don't play him. Um, early in the year, Winnipeg was a mirage. Like when they were in like atop the Western Conference, you look at all their underlying metrics, the the shot share, the scoring chance share, they were not 
the best team in the Western Conference. They were not an elite team in the NHL. They were just getting elite goaltending from Connor Hellbuck. He was covering up all the flaws on that team with his play. And lately, he hasn't been able to. Um, I don't think his play has dropped off dramatically, but it hasn't been at the level it was early in the season when he was covering up all their mistakes. And suddenly, the, the Jets' overall record and their wins and losses are starting to look more like what the actual play has been in front of Hellebuck. And that the result of that is a team that is borderline playoffs. Are they a playoff team? Are they not? I think if you if you don't play Hellebuck all these games down the down the stretch, you're going to have a hard time getting across that finish line. So um, it's <laughs> it's a tough spot. I think they should play him a bunch, but I also think it's probably going to end up in a worn out goalie that can't carry you through the playoffs once you do. Only time will tell. What are you working on this week, Jesse? Well, more goalie stuff, um, <laughs> as you would guess. Uh, still, like I said, I, I got to talk to all those goalies down in Florida for a handful of stories. Um, so still working on those. And uh, Golden Knights are back home. They were on a five-game road trip, uh, really successful road trip. They lost the first one, and then they won four straight, and that was a tough one. So come home four and one. Uh, they're atop the Pacific Division. So some Jonathan Quick, four and zero oh, as a as a Golden yeah. Knight. Uh, got a shutout in Carolina, 33 safe shutouts. So gonna gonna talk to him now that they're back home uh, and and write some uh, some stories as they head to the playoffs for the fifth time in six years. Should be fun. Former Columbus Blue Jacket Jonathan Quick is. <laughs> oh man, that I still can't get over that tweet by the Blue Jackets. I love good social media teams. Anyways, thanks for another good show, buddy. Want to let everyone know if you want to watch us while we're doing this. Hey, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash The Athletic Hockey Show. And I want to remind you, we do return on Thursday with Ian Mendez and down goes Brown. I want to say thanks to Danny Briere for joining Russo. I want to thanks uh, Sean Gentili for joining Russo as well. And Russo for actually not being here and still putting in work. For Jesse, I'm Rob. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>